Hi, I'm Jenna. I'm Dottie's mum. She was born July 2021. Hello and welcome back to the podcast. I'm Philippa Giu and after my own baby was born in July 2020, I've been sharing the remarkable stories of the families who had their little ones during the middle of a global pandemic. These are the stories of the lockdown babies. Thank you so much for being here. I think we should just start by saying Jenna and I actually know each other. I was actually trying to work it out. I think we've known each other for maybe like 22 years. That's a long time. Does that sound about right? Yeah, we became neighbours and I must have been about, yeah, 10 or 11. So are we giving our ages away? (laughs) It's 20 years, like over 20 years we've known each other. We grew up pretty much on the same street. We used to play out together. We used to push our dollies around in prams together. Many a dance recital, I recall, Phil. Many. Being cheerleaders on the road. We've done it all. We've been there. We went to school together. So I do think that's important to say. Yes. But we haven't seen each other. Exactly. For a long, long, for a long time. I think I've seen you in the pub back home a few times. Well, yeah, obviously. And I'll always say hello. But otherwise, (laughs) we've not really seen each other. But I've obviously, you had a baby and you do sort of get drawn to Instagram accounts who've also had babies. And I love watching your stories and like seeing pictures of Dottie. She's the best dressed child that I know. (laughs) She only looks like that for the first 30 minutes of any given morning. And then she looks yeah she looks horrific for the rest of the day (laughs) often pantless and covered in spaghetti so that's that's the pictures you know lie Instagram lies yeah Instagram (laughs) is a snapshot it's a highlight reel but I do enjoy I do enjoy her pictures um so you had your baby July 2021 which was a whole year after I had Arabella but you were still hugely impacted by the COVID restrictions and I think it's fair to say your story kind of comes in two parts so there's your pregnancy and getting news about Dottie in your pregnancy. And then when you got home from hospital, that's a whole other ordeal. So should we start by talking about your pregnancy? I guess you got pregnant during the pandemic. Yes, I did, which, you know, I, I thought was a really positive thing because nobody could go out and have any fun. So I felt like I was really lucky to have caught caught the tail end of it. And obviously people were social distancing, so I felt quite protected. It was something that we'd all got used to. Um, So by the time it came to any kind of occasion or night out, you know, I I didn't feel like I was missing out on anything like that. So I was really happy with the pregnancy pandemic. But obviously things changed as we approached appointments and uh, sonograms and things like that, which, as everybody knows, you you had to be alone for. Um, I'm sure that during that time, people, mothers got all kinds of news and mine is by no means devastating, but I was obviously given the news that Dot had a limb difference. As the sonogram happened, there was a very distressed lady rapidly looking on the picture screen for her right arm and couldn't find it. So as I'm I'm lay there, I can clearly see some some element of panic in her eyes, but I didn't really have anybody to reassure me or, or bounce off and several other professionals came in to look and see if if they could find it until I you know spoke up uh, I think that's been a theme of of these podcasts by the way you know having no advocate and said you know can someone please let me know what's going on because I'm very very concerned as to this panic and they had confirmed that they couldn't place Dot's arm from her elbow downwards 
so the instant feelings that I had were were, were obviously panic. You know, <laughs> where is it? Find it. <laughs> I'm assuming she's lay on it, sat on it, or whatever. But you just you just very very alone in in that moment and having you know my partner or my mum just to be there to take in the information that they were saying because I've already zoned out at this point they did their very best to console me uh, but I was noticeably distressed and I had to obviously go and sit in a room for a while because you you've also got the practicalities of of getting yourself home and you know making that phone call I, I don't I didn't want to make a phone call I rang my partner at work on a routine 20 week anatomy scan and had no I had no kind of words to say she's got no arm I didn't even have the vocabulary to to describe what it was at, at that point because as anxious and nervous as you feel before your scans and you kind of hope and pray that everything's okay I don't think you ever really expect somebody to tell you that something's not quite right absolutely not you and you don't this sounds very basic, but you don't expect a missing body part in these things. And I'd found out really early on in my pregnancy because we'd been trying for a baby for a while. Um, so I was doing a lot of pregnancy tests. To, and so I think I was only three weeks pregnant when I found out. So, you know, you think I'd, I'm not a smoker. I haven't had a drink. I, did I? Uh, and thus begins a very downward spiral, which is, did I have the shower too hot? Did I lean on a... I think that bit, a lot of the mothers of the limb you know limb different community have, have said they riddle themselves with guilt for the first 72 hours pretty hard going over every single chemical they've been in contact with and things like that and you feel completely responsible and at the time that it happens you know you're given no answers and that's not a, a fault of, of the nhs or anything you know you've just got somebody who's reading a sonogram she can't tell you why it's happened she can't tell you anything other than what limb is missing. So I did spiral after that, mainly because of the constant feelings that I've, I've, I had one job, you know, grow 10 fingers, 10 toes, and I've, you know, I've missed five somewhere. So I was very upset that I'd done something. And then luckily I had several more appointments, as you can imagine, they came in thick and fast at this point, which had confirmed the likelihood of her particular limb difference being transverse and cut from the elbow is something called an amniotic band and these can go anywhere in the body and they can basically tie around the particular limb and they can just cut it short like a, almost an amputee so nothing I could have done could have prevented that but we, we all grouped together as a family after we left after I left the hospital and within a couple of hours we were just celebrating the fact that well thank god it's not gone anywhere near her neck you know we're still having a happy healthy and then we we found out she was a baby girl we did want to wait but we thought let's just focus on on this positive and I can honestly say we were fine but I'm I'm still angry about having to have that news delivered solo it, it, it was a big deal and that making that phone call is something I wouldn't wish on anybody to have to do he should have been with me and not having to drive home from the hour journey he worked at worrying about me worrying about our child he should have just been able to have accompanied me and and helped me through that particular 10 minutes of my life which were quite distressing yeah what does your partner say about it now obviously he missed out on that moment as well he missed out on just be, just being fed there for the scan whether or not you were going to get news it's 
it's his baby as well and also just so hard for him not to be able to be there with you I think as well he felt extra guilty because for some reason I'd got quite anxious about this scan Uh, I don't know why I, I don't really I've never really suffered from any kind of anxiety prior I'd got a bit anxious about these scans and um he would have been the one saying, stop being silly. What What is there to worry about? Well, obviously, he had no malicious intentions from that. But it was all, he's almost was like, oh, my gosh, I told her not to worry. And, you know, she's literally not got a right arm. <laughs> so it's weird, isn't it? Your mum intuition must have been telling you something almost like your body was like preparing you for the news or something do you not think it was weird I'm you know I'm not kind of into that thing but I I did think that I must have had something because why I'd be nervous for this scan I don't know when I'd not slept the night before and was a bit like and I put it down to pregnancy hormones or whatever else you 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 know and the lack of sleep but in reality when I when I got there it it was I'm not going to say I knew because I was definitely not expecting that but I just had this uneasy feeling about the situation that you know, it wouldn't have changed the outcome and I wouldn't now change the outcome, obviously. But just being able to have a, a person there who could, I became unreceptive to anything they were saying from the second they said that. So anything else and any follow-up appointments I needed and anything they were saying to me, I think when I actually got home and tried to relay the information again, I, I was like, I, I don't I don't know. I couldn't tell them if it was a left arm, right arm. I couldn't tell them if it, if it stopped here. I'm pointing at my shoulder, I realise I'm on a podcast. If it stopped at the shoulder, stopped at the elbow. I just, I just needed another person who could also hear the information and it it not just be on me to you know recite to the the whole family obviously you got the news and as you said you all banded together and you know within a couple of days you were you were okay and you were you were excited about baby girl coming along obviously you got kind of peddled into lots of appointments and I don't know if you had extra scans and things I'm guessing you just did all of that alone again well I was lucky with I was a lot of them, yes, but I was really lucky with. I've been referred to. I was referred to a prosthetic um, center, brilliant one called an Ability Center, and they were fantastic in allowing, you know, my mom or um, my partner to to go, um, because they understood the requirement for two people to take in the amount of information, you know, and especially when you kind of being grilled at the time on your pregnancy, you know, answering mortifying questions like are you related to the baby's father is something that when you're trying already your best to not feel responsible for the particular situation questions like that which are just on a checklist I understand that but at the time you feel even more like you've done you have to prove that no you know I've not not gone on a crack binge I just (laughs) just was very normal surprisingly healthy for myself with the lack of alcohol and I'd quit smoking two, three years prior. So I felt like, yeah, I'm, I'm in the prime. I'd spoke to many women who'd found out, uh, you know, in the six month of pregnancy and they'd been, you know, living life to the full for them six months. So I did manage to have somebody there for those appointments, which which was luckily my mum, because I think I would have point blank refused to go if she couldn't have. As petulant as that may sound, I was too scared to have any further news because we didn't know if the limb was associated to any other chromosome issues or development issues within her, within her internal organs. So if I would have had to have been delivered a second unexpected bit of information, I don't know that I would have been okay with that. So I, I did advocate for that. They told me on several occasions in 
the local hospital that it was one person only and I refused and said I, I, I won't be coming in if she doesn't come in with me and they did they did subside in a few occasions because they, they made a way outside the door which this is a point that one of your previous guests I think Lily had said seemed so pedantic and useless what would what is her stood outside the door doing for covid stop it I know this makes me furious because I think I said in that interview that um when I was in labor my husband was sat on a cor- in the on the floor in a corridor instead of being in the room with me coughing on everyone yeah when I'm just, just put him in the room it just it just makes no sense but good for you for saying actually no I need my mum to come in with me and I think in hindsight, I wish I'd been stronger with that kind of stuff. And I know lots of people listening probably wish that they were stronger with it. But at the time, you just you just following the rules, aren't you? You just think, oh, following the rules. But I know you and I know that completely matches your personality. I wouldn't expect anything less. And I don't think anyone should feel bad for not doing that themselves because there was plenty of times throughout the process of the pregnancy that I didn't manage. I think it just depends on the day and whether or not you've got somebody, you know, working there who is going to take you on or not. I was lucky that in some situations I did kind of get my own way. But yeah, nobody should feel bad for not advocating themselves. These are professionals, healthcare professionals. These are these are the people who are the most knowledgeable in the field that you're new at. So you're going to do what they say, I think. Uh, so no one should feel bad for that. But I just knew I couldn't be delivered a, a piece of information again. I knew it would. It was irrelevant. Anything they were going to tell me, my brain was too busy with, with worries, especially when we didn't know if it was connected genetically to any kind of other problems. There was no point talking to me. As I was lay there having scan after scan, All I, I wasn't thinking straight. So delivering any kind of you know news would have been pointless and I, that that was the argument that I used no it makes perfect sense and I'm so glad that you did do that and you did advocate for yourself um I guess you spent a lot of the rest of your pregnancy in and out of hospital seeing different doctors different specialists I think by that time we were a bit further along in the pandemic in that we knew a bit more about COVID we knew how it affected people I think we may have started having the vaccine rollout by then so it wasn't necessarily like that uncertainty that we'd had the year before but did you have any worries about being in hospital all the time like in this place that's full of germs and COVID and people that might have been near COVID people did, did you worry about that or not so much well I, I definitely um I definitely felt better than probably some of the the women and you know the year before um I certainly had more of an understanding like you say of what COVID was so I wasn't you know particularly particularly scared I felt more at risk having to frequently go to to hospitals of course but the only time I got particularly stressed about it was I had to have a cesarean she was breech, and I think not that her arm meant that I couldn't. I could deliver um, any way I wanted. It, it wasn't going to have any effect on that. It was just that she was also breech, and I think with the arm, they just wanted to minimise any kind of any kind of potential risk. So cesarean was organised, and then because I was I was going full term, as it drew around that that day, I started to get extremely anxious because I've I've heard of women having to do it alone because they've either had COVID or the partners had COVID. This has been the theme since the diagnosis, doing something alone. I don't know where this has come from. I was considered very independent prior to this, but there is something I have now, which I've never had before, of of doing these kinds of things alone. So unfortunately, you know, some women, I'd heard horror stories and I've heard them through your podcast of 
of having to do these things alone and I, I don't think I could have done it so I wouldn't have had a choice but I felt that if I could you know stop the risk as much as I can before the section is booked then I was very stringent with the rules I would say as that come and they were starting to offer the vaccine in my last last month and I know there's a herd of women at the same point of me going oh you know don't know how I feel about that I'm not anti-vaccine I'm I'm very pro-vaccine but there's something about carrying something inside you that you think yeah don't put anything gross and new in me <laughs> I feel quite sad listening to you say like there's something in me now that worries about doing things alone and because of that that experience of your scan that was just like a normal day you went to your scan and it's changed like who you are yeah and I hate I hate admitting that but that's that's the fact now and it it annoys me that something that was 10 minutes that's not a problem now could have had that kind of effect on me I'm not the kind of person who believes that I'll be bothered by much but it, it genuinely has had a lasting effect throughout the pregnancy then. The pregnancy was fraught with with worries, not for the baby. I'm sure every mother has them, but more for having to potentially be given this news. And, you know, I'm harping back to it, but it was it was because of having to relay it on the phone. It, that just, I don't want to have to give anybody news in, through that, that's bad news, you know, through that medium or unexpected news I should say so it has been it has stayed with me now and then it was obviously made worse by what followed so Dottie was born and she was otherwise healthy and and happy you came home and you you were just kind of ready to I guess start life with the three of you I know you've got stepchildren as well but you know you were ready for this next kind of phase yeah and I think I actually I did really well after this the cesarean I loved the the staff in the hospital were brilliant and I came away from my section feeling very active and I didn't get the blues and I felt like I was almost doing too well and somebody felt like knocking me down a peg <laughs> so I go for obviously three weeks I think it was three weeks after she was born um I had some pain I assumed it was related to the section everybody told me that you can get really painful trap wind uh, so I thought you know it must be related to that <laughs> took a couple of omoprazoles and you know tried to I'd had covid as well in between but so did everybody I think I brought that out of the hospital so that I always forget this bit because you know who's not had it now but we got home from hospital about we had about four good days and then we all started getting real coughing and spluttering um dot was fine with it I was really lucky I've been lucky throughout this that I have got obviously a massive support system so I don't feel hard done to um I feel very lucky that I've got that so my mum and dad moved in because they had covid why not so we just really gross COVID household the house was fested the baby seemed fine though and we just kind of cracked on and thought well it's out of the way now we don't have to keep worrying about catching it so we'd even sailed through that and then just as I started getting visitors because obviously no one would really seen seen the baby as much I, I got this I got this pain and as the day progressed it became relatively unbearable I, I thought oh I think I'm being a bit soft and I thought I'm not going to hospital for them to tell me I've got trapped wind. That's that's the most embarrassing thing ever. And what a waste of time that is when there's people who need who need these spaces in A&E. But it, I think after about 10 hours, I was I think I started vomiting. I think that's never a good sign. So went to went to A&E, which was a rigmarole 
to the highest order. And they quickly, when I say quickly, I mean 12 hours later, diagnosed that my appendix had burst. I'm no doctor, but pain radiating from my appendix area seems to be that. Do you think that things got muddled because you'd had a baby, you'd just had a baby and just had the C-section? They were just thinking it's to do with that, it's to do with that, and just totally overlooked the appendicitis. Massively, and I was trying to say that my my younger brother, who you'll remember, Josh, when he was about sixteen, his appendix ruptured, but Josh, being Josh, didn't know. He he thought, oh, something hurts. He was actually on a ski holiday. He got really bad sepsis and survived happy ending but it was three months in I think he was 15 so he was still in a children's hospital in a pepper pig bed and I can see him now having only recovered from the septicemia and peritonitis and everything else that he got as a result from it because he was very strong very healthy so I was constantly thinking this if this is bursting I am not in fighting fit shape I'm postnatal and post-covid and I can't even string a sentence together this this needs to not burst and the more and more they assumed that it was to do with my cesarean the longer we're waiting on this what is it essentially a time bomb on on it bursting um so it was I was transferred to Oldham and this is now day three I'm finally in a hospital bed had no contact was not allowed to have any visitors at all my mum was allowed to drop a bag off at the at the front door and I'm sorry to be graphic but obviously you are postpartum so you've got a lot going on and I had no change of clothes I had no sanitary items I had no I was still leaking luckily I wasn't breastfeeding but I asked me trying to advocate what would you let me see me daughter what would you do if I was breastfeeding and they said I would have had to express it and send it home and I know another theme on your podcast is you know you're talking about that being your human right now I wasn't breastfeeding so irrelevant point but there'll be mothers in that hospital similar to me who wouldn't be able to breastfeed but it's not even the breastfeeding it's just that you've got a three-week-old baby that's just lived in your tummy for nine months you can't be separated from and it's a physical pain when you separate from however you feed your baby like the point is that you should not be separated from your newborn baby you are one unit I cannot even imagine how horrific it must have been Obviously, you went to A&E, but you didn't kind of expect to be in there for days. And they also told me, and this is this is my issue, they told me it would it's a, an append, a, appendix removal is about 45 minutes. No big deal. And as I kept saying to them, it's no big deal unless it bursts. And then it's a really big deal. So they kept postponing my surgery for it because it was considered non-urgent. There was a a lot of, you know, strokes and heart attacks or on things which are of course massively important. But I kept trying to say to him, I will take up more NHS time and money if you if you just don't do the forty five minute operation now. So by day three of me being in the hospital, I finally got the surgery. Now when you've got nobody there with you advocating for you or the communication back home was outrageous. Unfortunately the um operation took significantly longer than expected because by this point it was a mess it was entangled in my bowel and it was gangrene as if you can have something inside you it's gangrene that was new that was vile and it, it was a mess to get out and untangle and remove the shards of it of its you know bursting edges so it was a long operation nobody told any of my family my family were ringing constantly expecting me to come out within an hour they gave it two hours leeway but by I think hour four or five they'd heard nothing and I'd signed a waiver as you do before the operation which had said 
depending on what we find in there, you may need to have a hysterectomy and you may have had bits of your bowel moved. But then when I came round, I asked in a very groggy way, what have you done? What's what's there? Nobody could tell me for ages. I asked to see the surgeon and the advocate that I, you know, the strong me that I was by this point, I'm done in. I have got no strength to do anything. And I, I was actually pleading with a particular surgeon to you know do the surgery and saying I had a three-week-old baby I I need to get home and his response to me was this is not a prison you can leave and you know Jenna of 18 months prior would have probably got out of bed and marched off in protest but you know fine I'm out of here I don't know what I would have done or I I would at least you know vocalized myself but instead I just sat there and and just cried because I'm at this point a shell of my former self. I've missed my baby. You've been advocating for yourself since 20 weeks pregnant with all these different things throughout the pregnancy, everything that you had to do then, you bring, you go home and then this and then you just back to square one and you just think, for God's sake, you just don't have any energy left. Of course you didn't. You just you just feel like, okay, this is just, this is happening. So by about, I'm still in there by about day five. I'm dying to see her. And I managed to speak to a lovely nurse on the ward. I'm needing more stuff at this point because obviously I've ran out of whatever supplies my mum managed to drop off. My mum and dad, and they bring Dot to the front of the hospital. So I managed to get this nurse and say, can't you just take me outside for fresh air? Can't you just let me outside for fresh air? Surely I've been in this, no disrespect, gross ward for five days, which can't be healthy. And I would just like to mention that because I'd had COVID not that long ago, I was still testing positive for COVID. They didn't do anything with that information. So even though I'm testing positive with COVID, they didn't act on it or move me. So what what is the point then of, of trying to control this virus if, to all intents and purposes, they've got a patient in bed nine that's that's got it on a ward of 12? I reassured my fellow you know, ward mates that it was fine. And I was probably just showing it still. I'd not had symptoms for over a week, but obviously I cu- it was a farce. It was a complete and not a farce. I think it's been used as a cover in a lot of places. And I don't speak for all the staff as, you know, there's someone's really trying, but it's been used as a cover to stop visitors because visit visitors say a lot, they nag a lot and they speak up for the patients and they can do without it really. I think they'll find it a lot easier to not have anybody nagging as to why my bed sheets haven't been changed or why, you know, the bed hasn't been cleaned or why I've got two sets of paracetamol going into one arm or whatever else, you know, happened. I think they prefer it to be no visitors and was using that as a cover, if I'm perfectly honest. Especially by what's this now, August 2021, you know, we were allowed to, I'm sure at that point we were allowed in nightclubs and things. So I don't really know. It was a bit of a muddle, but I, I can't see why they, I couldn't have. Anyway, so I'm in this wheelchair and this lovely nurse, you know, steers me outside, but it's a long way. And I'm at this point, because of all the trauma to my stomach, I've had the operation and I can't really hold my own body weight up because in there is just a hot mess. So they, I, I unfortunately, I saw Dot, I was hysterical crying. The poor nurse was like, whew, she had to go and have a minute. But I could last about 10 minutes before I needed to be lay back down. So I, I saw her for 10 minutes on day four or five. However, it was, you know, it was good motivation because as I got upstairs, I, I thought, right, come on, move, get up. People have operations all the time and they can walk, especially 
especially, you know, I'm young, I'm healthy, I'm sure I can get up. And, you know, it did force me to to stop feeling so sorry for myself. And I managed to get out of there, I think about 24 hours later, which was, which was lovely. But then by the time I got home, if you imagine five days on a three week old baby, well, she was, she, she had a different level of milk. She drank and she preferred this. And then you have all of these people telling you what your baby likes to do, which doesn't sit well at all. And also you can't pick her up you can't, I couldn't, I couldn't do anything. And I had to, you know, defer to other people of, is she not, does she not, no, she, you burp her like this. This is how you burp now. She burps this way now. Oh, she actually prefers it when you, when you do this. It's been, I'm thinking it's been five days. How, how is she, how is she so different? And then you lose all confidence in your own abilities at that point. So that I think has been the lasting thing that I'm still dealing with, you know, nine months later in that week and a half that I had loads of help. So, you know, forgive me for sounding like some kind of martyr. I had so much help though, because I wasn't very capable that once everybody goes back to work, you suddenly don't feel capable. You don't feel like you, you know what they want. You don't feel like you understand the cries. I don't, I didn't feel like she wanted me and I didn't feel like I was responsible enough or fit enough to physically care for her. So I, I, you know, I didn't tell anybody that because you sound crazy, but I was, you know, I was having, I think this is something that I don't really tend to discuss, but I was having panic attacks um, when after, and I didn't even tell uh, my partner, he, he would go to work and the house would just become silent and I would be left with the baby, which only a week prior I was more than happy with. And all of a sudden I would have nothing but fear that, irrational fear that I, I what if I drop her because I'm not stable enough I wouldn't go up and down the stairs with her in case I couldn't you know in case I dropped her I was faint quite a lot so I thought what if I just pass out and she's in my arms and then that extended to well I, you know I shouldn't be alone with her at all um so going out to public places with her all the time so that there was people around should anything happen and really revolving my entire life around having having some a second pair of hands which Thus is a self-fulfilling prophecy. You feel less and less confident by the day. So I still would have had the operation. I still wouldn't have had a full time. But if I could have had her for visiting hours and still felt like part of her growth in that week, I don't think that would have happened. It would have made such a big difference. Yeah, if she just could have been in and I could have had people there and if she could have still sat with me, I think that would have given me a lot more of a push because I was not giving up, don't get me wrong, I wasn't, you know, dying or anything, but I was a shell of my former self. I was lay there just kind of feeling like I had no energy to try and get better. Whereas if my family would have been there and she would have been able to sit with me, you know what it's like when it's your kid. I'd have sat myself up to hold her. I think I would have recovered better had she been able to come and, and just sit with me for a bit. It's just horrible, Jenna, like nobody should be separated from their baby like that their tiny tiny baby and just what a shit series of events I suppose and an an unfortunate series of events obviously there's nothing you could do about your appendix but it just shouldn't have been like that I just feel I feel rage actually on your behalf that this was allowed to happen and that you're not the only one this was happening up and down the country I was thinking you know because I'm always I am very reluctant to think I, you know I'm the worst I was all the time thinking don't get sad about this there'll be 
mothers on this ward who, who are going to be in here for two weeks who can't see the kid or there'll be a pregnant woman down the corridor who's giving birth on her own so I did always you know see the positives but I just think that for something that didn't make any sense I was sat there with Covid without being able to have anybody in you know and there's not just me what I witnessed on that ward you know was a, a lady who, who dropped her glasses and all she needed was to get the glasses from down there and that's something that a family member in visiting hours would have helped her with or you know say someone could have put my hair up or you know washed my face or something like that you just you feel a lot better and you know the, the nurses they were doing the very best you know the, the staffing issues is is not for me to comment on they were none of them were rude or but they were obviously trying to deal with a lot of things at once and therefore you don't get the care and that's why you get that's why people have visitors they bring you stuff they cheer you up they talk to you they advocate for you and they bring you babies <laughs> to sit with you <laughs> so um i honestly think that 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 was an, an unnecessary stab on an already not great scenario just made extra awful by i don't know now how i, I went i can't go four days without five days without seeing her now I certainly didn't want to do it when she was when she was just this tiny little thing that I felt was completely still attached to me. No, it's awful. You've just carried her for nine months. She just shouldn't have been separated from her. It's just horrific. And and the fact that it's had such profound lasting impacts on yeah, you. Yeah, definitely definitely has. And I know a lot of it is to do with the unavoidable appendix. I know that. But it was it was the fact that I didn't know her that caused the lack of confidence in me obviously you know she's mine and it came back but it it took a long time to come back and now I believe I have what I would consider you know normal fears you know she's eating solid foods and she's going to choke it's not I'm not responsible but that took about six months granted I had made it worse by um, not facing the issue not discussing the issue and instead just you know constantly pretending it was fine I think I would have if people speak up about these things more and don't think there's any kind of stigma that they're that they're struggling with something I think people would get over it quicker but instead I didn't want to have any kind of a, I didn't want anyone to think that there was anything up with me and that was absolutely fine and so just continue to create a bit of a facade whilst in the background I was I was having a, a genuine meltdown every time um you know I was left alone which is obviously on maternity it's long periods of time when you you know everybody else works and I didn't feel like I could be trusted to look after her or that I knew her I could hear the comments in my head which nobody meant in any kind of you know they weren't trying to upset me but I I got back and I held her and then I remember she was she was took off me because they're trying to look after me and and they were saying I'd overdone it but when other people are like no what no you can't don't be holding her but you also there's a there's a bit here that's relief because it was it was it was hurting and thought you know and it's not it's not a comfortable surgery to begin with but it's it, you know people people get up and go to work but because of the section and they'd had to go through all of the you know mess that was still just kind of healing and um, it created a bit of a situation where I couldn't really feel my muscles from from you know my, in my stomach so I had a bit of a problem with lifting you already do from the section so then it just kind of wiped out any any remaining strength I had in that area so you just you do feel like a lot you do you, you do feel like a liability and people are trying to help you but the lasting effects of that are well what, what do you mean she drinks this milk now 
it's been five days that's all I kept thinking but on a three-week-old baby it's, it seems like a lifetime she'd changed face she'd changed noises when she saw me I, I don't think she knew who I was well she will have recognized me I'm sure but she didn't she wasn't in any way like relieved to see me she'd she'd been without me for a week and she just wanted her dad and my mum and that's that's a bit of a it's a bit of a stab to take of course you were gonna feel like that you say that you're doing okay now I mean I guess it took a lot of work to to get to this point did you end up speaking to a professional or have you just done all this work internally yourself to to get better I suppose yeah I didn't I didn't speak to a professional because that would have been me admitting that there was a problem so I I would definitely advocate doing that to speed it up but I've always been a firm believer in like trying to do the basics now you can't really do that with a newborn no one can get eight hours of sleep and drink loads of water and take a shower and do some quick meditation but you can get up in the morning and go outside for a walk with the baby and you can get some fresh air and then you can sit down when the baby's asleep and have some do some breathing exercises and and stuff like that and I started to think about all the things that I can I can accomplish I you know I can do this I am the best mum for it and you have you know telling yourself these kinds of things and then the biggest cure for all is being thrown in the deep end when I couldn't physically find enough people in the world to come and keep me company you are left to just deal with it and like that's what's supposed to happen when you have the baby you're supposed to have them two weeks where everybody's round and then you get left on that first day which I remember being like nervous but excited this time it was different it was sheer panic when I was left and so just trying to get get to grips with it and it did also fall into place when I I got the baby into into more of a routine I got her in a routine, which meant I started to obviously have some time and some control. I think I wanted, I felt like I had no control over anything that was happening. No new mum does. But to top it off, I didn't have control over my own body and I didn't have control over the care for her. So once I started to get a routine and started to get some sleep, because she'd started to sleep better, you know, things like that generally helped. But, you know, I still have to do it, especially if there's been a situation where I've gone a bit panicky. I still have to sit down and genuinely do do a bit of bit of breathing and remember that I'm sure every mum does, you know, when, when they're trying to refocus and make sure that they give themselves a bit of a pat on the back every now and again for stuff. I think that's what everyone needs to do. It's still a work in progress. It's not an overnight fix. No, definitely not. But if, if anybody is struggling, whether they had anything to do with this or not I do think that speaking about it would help and not putting any shame on it I don't think there's many mums out there that feel completely and utterly fine all the time so we, we can't be alone in this and the you know the changes that happen to your body and your mood and your sleep and your life and your career you know are enough to send anyone a bit off key so throw in the fact that I didn't feel like I, I could really look after her because of it you know was quite a lot to deal with I suppose yeah a lot of the the things that you're describing and like the feelings that you're describing are similar to feelings that I had it's the hypervigilance it's the the anxiety you're on edge all the time you're constantly on high alert like your body's just always up you know on high alert you never sort of just you never come resting that's it and it's just you, you just sort of have these visions of terrible things happening like I would have these awful visions that like her cot was on fire or she was going to fall out the window like and it was totally irrational but knowing other mums feel that way Phil is what started making me feel better as well you know knowing that there's what's your thing oh 
I'm really weird about falling down the stairs with her or I'm really weird about I had it that the cot was on fire because I have a fan on in a room and I was like that fan's set on fire and I couldn't get it out of my head and then I would do what every mum does and just sit there and check she was breathing anything anytime she eats I'm like she's joking oh, like and it's horrible to live like that and I think it's true what you say that like a lot of mums do experience these things but I think there's a level where it's it's actually I knew in my case it it wasn't normal it wasn't normal to live like that and and it got to the point where I, I thought this is not this is not right I mean I know that you sort of have anxieties and things but this is next level and I don't think I can live like this anymore so I did end up getting help and speaking to a therapist and that really helped me a lot because she basically said I'm not saying this is true for you or for anyone else I'm just saying what what kind of happened with me was that the therapist kind of said to me like you've had this really traumatic experience where I thought my baby was going to die because she was very poorly when she was born also with with sepsis so I thought she was going to die and then it's almost like she told me that your brain like gets stuck on that and it it can't process to the long-term memory so it's still in your short-term memory so this hypervigilance and this constant state of alertness is kind of still linked to that and until you can process that you'll sort of continue to to feel like that and it was only really after going through this therapy that I was able to kind of come back down to normal, I think, and start to feel better. Did she work you through ways to kind of get away from that? Because I'm I'm listening to you, Phil, thinking that that's, I'm stuck on that alone thing. I'm stuck on the, I, I can't do this alone. I can't be alone with her. I can't get news about her alone. I can't take her anywhere alone. And I think it's it, it that sounds very similar. So do you think that obviously the therapy for you, did it take a long time? Was it No, it it really, really helped. So I reached out for help when she was about six months old and and then there was a couple of things that we did. So one thing was to write down like the entire birth experience. So my whole birth experience, because there was kind of like three parts to it that I thought were like traumatic. And it helped me remember things that I'd forgotten put it all down on paper and then I gave it to the to the lady to the therapist and she read it this was all virtual obviously but and then she said to me that must have been awful and she was really like the first person to say that because I tried to say to friends oh I'm kind of struggling with processing all of this thought she was gonna die bloody bloody blah and they were all like oh but at least she's fine now and I really found that difficult to hear because I'm like she is fine but like it's not fine. Like I thought she was a goner. That sounds awful to say, but I really did. And so the therapist was kind of the first person to say to me, that must've been awful. And then one of the other things we did was she thought I had a lot of anger about everything, which yeah, probably did. So I wrote imaginary letters to people that I was angry at. So there was like one particular doctor that I was really angry at. There was our prime minister <laughs> and 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 a couple of other people that I was I was quite angry at and I wrote these kind of virtual letters to them and that really helped me as well and also just learning about how your brain works and why you're stuck on it and how to move past it so yeah I mean obviously I can't sit here and diagnose you Jenna but I just I think if it's you're sort of having this epiphany I think yeah I think it sounds I think it sounds you know very very and there is probably you know bits I suppose you know, when she when she was born in this the section I I gloss over that bit because it was fine but I didn't meet her for nearly 30 minutes while they tried to make her breathe forgot that 
she uh, you're lay there obviously and you don't hear a noise and you you watch one one every minute and you're waiting for the cry and you know that everything's all right and there's no cry and Simon's look on his face was of feigned everything's okay and I could see it and then obviously she'd pooed in in me and so there was it was all all up in there but I suppose if I think about actual more components than that it, you know I, I kind of gloss over it, but it would probably, this would be my, you're my therapist today, Phil. I've gone through <laughs> and wrote down the the bits of the birth. But in terms of your anxiety, I mean, I realise this is your podcast. No, it's but, fine. Um, in terms of your anxiety now, Phil, how 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 do you feel? How, how old is Arabella now? So she's nearly two. She'll be two in July. Tons better. I will say that therapy was a life changer for me. And I didn't, I knew I needed it, but I don't think I realised how much I needed it. Also, I really couldn't sleep. I was having insomnia. I would I would lay there at night playing it all in my head. That's not normal. Like you should not be lying awake for hours at night replaying it all, just like super hypervigilant. You know, I'd stand on a curb with the pram, like waiting to cross the road. And instead of just waiting to cross the road, I'd start playing out scenarios that we'd get hit by a car and then all of this stuff would happen. And that's not normal. That's not a normal way to live. That's not a normal level of anxiety. And you're so, not enjoying your maternity at this point because no, you're just everything, like on edge. Everything, was a, was a, everything was a threat. Every single thing around me was a threat at the time. The car stopped driving. Not stopped driving because of the stuff, but I didn't want to drive anywhere didn't want to take her anywhere didn't want to cross a road didn't want to go up and downstairs didn't want to feed her that was fun she made a couple of um gagging noises um when she had colic so decided that she was going to choke on milk and my mum's going to me because I was like oh you know pretending that I'm fine <laughs> a bit worried she, she's not going to choke is she you know you're trying to act casual every time she made that noise I literally couldn't breathe and um my mum's like you can't choke on a liquid can't choke on a liquid meanwhile you get emails which my mum's my mum diagnoses as the problem with this generation how much information negative information we are sent so I'd signed up stupidly to pregnancy emails because it was fun learning if she's as big as a watermelon next news she's pregnant and it's this month hot topic SIDS and you're reading and you're going oh my god she's you know, I'd gone when I'd gone in the hospital. They'd given her like a little giraffe that smelled me to obviously try and keep keep my smell there or whatever for sleep, which is a cute thing. And she loved it and she snuggled it when she got in a Moses basket. The second I got home, I was like, "Oh, she can't have that. She's not had anything in her cot. She can't have that." So then she wanted to sleep with it. So I'd lie there awake until she was asleep, and then remove it. It's a t- it's a tiny little giraffe. These things that you're saying, honestly, it's like you're telling me what happened to me. The waves now, the it, it comes in waves. So there has to be a trigger for me now for it to kick off, which is, you know, she didn't she didn't choke on some toast, but she'd she she wasn't I had to flick it out of her mouth. It was too big. It was not a traumatic experience. It certainly wasn't full blown choking. But that little thing kind of, you know, put me back to purees for a week. And if she's trying something new that's like got an allergen in, I make sure that like that's not something I do solo. That's the theme of me, don't do it solo. It still lingers, but then I've become much more calm in lots more situations. So I feel now that the balance is restored in that my anxious moments are always going to be there. And I'm trying to, the way I've tried to view it is that, you know, they're a good thing that you are alert. Your, your whole purpose is to protect them. So if you, if I have to be uncomfortably vigilant for a bit, 
well, well, that's an inbuilt cave woman mechanism that's there to protect them. But as long as it's manageable and it isn't all the time, I can now, she's in that bedroom asleep and the monitor is downstairs with my other half. That's, you know, I think I would consider myself been better since about January, February. And things like that can happen. I used to sit with the screen on and have it zoomed in on a chest to check it went up and down. Now that doesn't happen. And, you know, I'm not bothered really about a lot of the th- you know, feeding her, certainly not milk and pureed foods. I feel like my anxieties are more rational ones. They are like, you know, they are more, there is a danger there, move it. She is going to fall off that. And it's become a lot less, well, irrational certainly but it's work constantly and if a couple of nights lack of sleep and a bad diet and no time for myself and I can easily easily spiral into that again so I think it's constant work do you ever reconsider you know have you ever reconsidered the therapy since or do you think that was a a one-time fix-all thing I think I did about 10 weeks with the lady. She was brilliant. Um, so every Tuesday or whatever we, we met. And I think it got to a point actually where I ended up breaking up with her. And I said, I'm doing a lot better now. Thank you so much for everything, but I'm okay. And actually I've been okay ever since. But I think what if I were to get pregnant again, I think I would probably need to do a bit of work around that and having just even the thought of you know having another baby really does terrify me otherwise no I've been okay and it it really did help me a lot and I was the same as you I'd never had anxiety I'd never had anything like that I didn't even really know what that meant in a way yes I'd had times where I was worried about a job interview or whatever you have normal worries but I'd never I'd never had a rational hyper hyper like where it's consuming and it's all you can think about and it's just like you feel it in your whole body I'd never had that and I didn't really understand when people said they were anxious what that really meant I didn't and I was probably quite dis- I, I'll admit I was probably quite dismissive I was quite dismissive of others who who suffered from it I think not you know not openly and but I I probably said a lot of the things that I then found irritating said to me I said a lot of oh, there's a lot worse, you know, and oh, well, just just stop it. (laughs) Just don't think about that. Oh, right, genius idea. So, you know, when you, I think it's given me an understanding that it can also happen to a variety of of different people. And I do think that you've you've hit on something quite important that it can all be attached to, to a particular moment that you can't seem to get past. So, you know, working through that seems like a huge benefit for anybody. Um, it's something that I still consider, but as long as I'm keeping on top of it now and, and like I say, I'm dealing with issues that I think, are, well, I think are normal mum issues to be worried all the time, but it's not all consuming. It's not, it's certainly now. And, and also I think with kids, you know, at six months, she became a bit more robust. That helped. Made me, she was more of a solid unit and she wasn't this fragile fragile thing that couldn't be trusted in a cot with a teddy bear so I do think that you know as they get bigger but it certainly put me off pregnancy ever again and a baby ever again I think and I, I know I know that things are different but I, I think I think I'd be a nervous wreck genuinely I think can you imagine me in 20 weeks gone I'd be like oh god is this one missing anything you know it would be it would be probably 
I would probably worry worry far too much. And they always say with your second, you know, you're actually a lot more chilled out when when you have them. But I think for me, it's it's just, if anything, I don't think there's any other. Don't don't jinx this. I'm pretty sure I can't have any spontaneous organs go after after birth again. I think your appendix is really really the only one. But I really wouldn't like to jinx it. People say that all the time, don't they? Oh, but your second will be different. It won't be the same. And but I can't move past that either. But I don't have any newborn stuff. I just I gave it all away, sold it all, whatever. I don't have anything because I genuinely believed at that time that we wouldn't have another baby. And now I think I think we might, but not yet. <laughs> <laughs> not anytime soon. But I would like to because more because I want a sibling for her. But at the same time, no, thank you. Like I've thought I, I, between you and me and few thousand people listening to this I thought I was pregnant a few times and I've been filled with panic sheer sheer panic yeah that's horrendous thinking of that thought has just sent me into sheer panic into sheer panic yeah it's it's just a no it's a no I was rubbish at being pregnant I was gross at it I I was gross I felt gross I was not glowing I was just and because I'm like short I was just spherical (laughs) did you did you balloon like Kim Kardashian very spherical and very very like little angry little man syndrome <laughs> I had and very very huge huge disgusting feet that's uh, and all kinds of all kinds of just everyone said like oh it's nice when they move in you and I found it gross and like a fish was in my stomach and I didn't like it and when she had hiccups it made me really mad I didn't like being pregnant either I, I'm with I'm with you on that one and people are like you can't say that I'm like I oh, can it was absolutely awful it was awful and the only thing I wanted to do was lie on my front Oh my gosh, yes, same. All I wanted to do, and I was mad that I couldn't. I think I slept on my front till I was about 23 weeks pregnant. Yeah, I was really trying. I was thinking about putting a hole in my mattress. Yes, oh my God. I was researching those mattresses with a hole in, like the blow-up mattress, yeah. Oh, I'm, I was exactly the same. You just want to lie on your front. But now, I, I can't sleep on my front anymore. I've been ruined. <laughs> oh, you, are, you are missing out on a lot of pleasures, lying on your front. I try because that's just what I want. It's what my body and my brain wants, but I can't do it anymore because my back's like, Ugh. no one talks about the postpartum bed change positions that you have to do. I th- and I, I, f- I love women who I am not jealous that these women have had wonderful experiences because I think that that's lovely for them. And they kept telling me, you know, oh, you'll miss your bump and and they love being pregnant. And I think credit to you. You, you, you obviously have got a much better mindset about it than me because I went into it going this is going to be horrific and I think that's half and it was I think you know positive mental attitude goes a long way but I think your next one Phil the fact that you already are saying you know you'll do a bit of work on yourself beforehand you know that's super healthy approach and you might have been filled with panic at the test but the fact that you're even considering it I think is really positive yeah I think so I think time is a healer as well and I think lots of people listening to this who are maybe where you're at or where you know where I'm at and have said I'm not having another I'm not having another time is a healer I'm not saying it's going to be a healer for you only you know that and I think it has been for me at least you know so we'll we'll see watch this space might be making announcements soon (laughs) (laughs) is you're half aware of this or have you just decided no no he's 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 on board (laughs) I guess I want to ask you a couple of things before we wrap up. I know I'm taking up a lot of your time. No, it's very it's very late at night by this point. Don't worry. But a couple of things um, which I ask all, all my guests. The first one is if you could sum up your whole experience in, this is going to be so hard because you've, you've had a ride, in one word, what would that word be? 
erratic. <laughs> the opposite of zen <laughs> is really all I can describe it as. Um, my other question is if you could speak to our prime minister, our policymakers, the people that made the rules that, you know, decided you'd be on your own in that 20 week scan and that you wouldn't be able to have your baby with you in hospital. What would you say to them? I do think that in situations like this, people are trying to do the best they can with the information they have. And I don't think anybody in that position would have necessarily have made wonderful choices that everybody was happy with. But I think the only thing I, I would I would say to him was, was, was it worth it? You've got us on this podcast. You've got people who've missed cancer treatments. You've got people who've died alone. You've got awful things that have come out of it. And was it, was it worth it in your opinion? And the hope of something like this, I I believe, why I wanted to do it is that if God forbid anything like this should happen again, that there would be a huge shift in how our government and our services operate throughout something. This this may not be or may be the only pandemic we go through, but if we can learn from this and the impacts that it's having on children's mental health, we've missed school all the way up to me stressing about going to appointments on my own, whatever it is. I just think that it will hopefully have shifted their beliefs for any, God forbid, situation where it happens again. Yeah, no, absolutely. I I hope you're right. I hope lessons have been learned. And I think the only way that they will be learned is by having these conversations. You know, I think it's really hard, isn't it? Because there's not one person that we can just be like, it was you, it was your fault, you're to blame, you're the villain. It was a cascade of different events that led to all our different experiences and all up and down the country and and I think that's why it's so hard in a way to be mad at one person because it's not just one person there was loads of different people involved so it's really tricky but I guess we can just hope like you said that if it happens again things will be be a bit different I can imagine you know we're years from now and you've got 12 kids <laughs> and you'll be like you liar <laughs> Yeah, you're absolutely throwing them out. Loving pregnancy. Can't wait to be pregnant again. You know, and and I'm on 12 kids and counting. 12 kids and counting. And we're laughing about this time, you know, and talking about it with grandkids, you know, as if it was some kind of war. Um, And I think that my hope certainly is that it will be a, a patch of my life that the negatives wear off. And instead, I just remember that it was a it was an odd time. Then I got my baby girl out of it and she's happy and healthy. And I hope that's in years to come the only lasting lingering thought that I have about it a huge thank you to Jenna for taking the time to speak to me we stayed up way too late recording but I really feel that was such an important story and one that I know lots of you will relate to if you're enjoying the show please take a moment to leave a review as it really helps new people find us and don't forget to follow along on Instagram just search lockdown babies podcast I'll be back next Wednesday with a brand new episode bye-bye for now (laughs) 